Chapter 15 of the Life of St. Teresa of Jesus. This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel, written by herself and translated from the Spanish by David Lewis. Now, let us go back to the subject. This quiet and recollection of the soul makes itself in great measure felt in the satisfaction and peace attended with very great joy and repose of the faculties and most sweet delight wherein the soul is established. It thinks because it has not gone beyond it that there is nothing further to wish for but that its abode might be there and it would willingly say so with St. Peter. It dares not move nor stir, because it thinks that this blessing it has received must then escape out of its hands. Now and then, it could wish it did not even breathe. The poor little soul is not aware that, as of itself, it could do nothing to draw down this blessing on itself. It is still less able to retain it a moment longer than our Lord's wills it should remain. I have already said that, in the prior recollection and quiet, and there is no failure of the powers of the soul. But the soul is so satisfied in God that, although two of its powers be distracted, yet while the recollection lasts, as the will abides in union with God, so its peace and quiet are not disturbed. On the contrary, the will by degrees brings the understanding and the memory back again, for though the will is not yet altogether absorbed, it continues still occupied without knowing how, so that notwithstanding all the efforts of the memory and the understanding, they cannot rob it of its delight and joy. Yea, rather it helps without any labor at all to keep this little spark of the love of God from being quenched. Oh, that his majesty would be gracious unto me and enable me to give a clear account of the matter. For many are the souls who attain this state, and few are they who go farther. I know not who is in fault. Most certainly it is not God. For when his majesty shows mercy unto a soul so that it advances so far, I believe that he will not fail to be more merciful still if there be no shortcomings on our part. And it is of great importance for the soul that has advanced so far as this, to understand the great dignity of its state, the great grace given it by our Lord, and how in all reason it should not belong to earth, because he, of his goodness, seems to make it here a denzian of heaven, unless it be itself in fault. And miserable will that soul be if it turns back, it will go down, I think so, even to the abyss, as I was going myself, if the mercy of our Lord had not brought me back. Because, for the most part, it must be the effect of grave faults. That is my opinion. Nor is it possible to forsake so great a good otherwise than through the blindness occasioned by much evil. Therefore, for the love of our Lord, I implore those souls to whom his majesty has given so great a grace, the attainment of this state, to know 
and make much of themselves with a humble and holy presumption in order that they may never return to the flesh pots of Egypt. And if through weakness and wickedness and a mean and wretched nature they should fall as I did, let them always keep in mind the good they have lost. Let them suspect and fear they have reason to do so, that if they do not resume their prayer, they may go on from bad to worse. I call that a real fall, which makes us hate the way by which so great a good was obtained. I address myself to those souls, but I am not saying that they will never offend God, nor fall into sin, though there are good reasons why those who have received these graces should keep themselves carefully from sin. But we are miserable creatures. What I earnestly advise is this. Let there be no giving up of prayer. It is by prayer they will understand what they are doing and obtain from our Lord the grace to repent and strength to rise again. They must believe and believe again that if they cease from praying, they run, so I think, into danger. I know not if I understand what I am saying, for as I said before, I measure others by myself. The prayer of quiet, then, is a little spark of the true love of himself, which our Lord begins to enkindle in the soul. And his will is that the soul should understand what this love is by the joy it brings. This quiet and recollection and little spark, if it is the work of the Spirit of God, and not a sweetness supplied by Satan or brought about by ourselves, produces great results. A person of experience, however, cannot possibly fail to understand at once that it is not a thing that can be acquired, were it not that our nature is so greedy of sweetness that it seeks for it in every way. But it comes cold very soon, for however much we try to make the fire burn, in order to obtain this sweetness, it does not appear that we do anything but throw water on it to put it out. This spark, then, given of God, however slight it may be, causes a great crackling, and if men do not quench it by their faults, it is the beginning of the great fire which sends forth, I shall speak of it in the proper place, the flames of the most vehement love of God which His Majesty will perfect souls to possess. This little spark is a sign or a pledge which God gives to a soul, in token of his having chosen it for great things, if it will prepare to receive them. It is a great gift, much too great for me to be able to speak of it. It is a great sorrow to me, because, as I said before, I know that many souls come thus far, and that those who go farther, as they ought to go, are so few, that I am ashamed to say it. I do not mean that they are absolutely few. There must be many, because God is patient with us for some reasons. I speak of what I've seen. I should like much to recommend these souls to take care that they do not hide their talent, 
for it may be that God has chosen them to be the edification of many others, especially in these days when the friends of God should be strong, in order that they may support the weak. Thus, those who discern in themselves this grace must look upon themselves as such friends if they would fulfill the law which even the honorable friendship of the world respects. If not, as I said just now, let them fear and tremble, lest they should be doing mischief to themselves, and grant it be to themselves only. What the soul has to do at those seasons wherein it is raised to the prayer of quiet is nothing more than to be gentle and without noise. By noise, I mean going about with the understanding and search of words and reflections whereby to give God thanks for this grace and heaping up its sins and imperfections together to show that it does not deserve it. All this commotion takes place now and the understanding comes forward and the memory is restless and certainly to me these powers bring much weariness at times. For though my memory is not strong, I cannot control it. Let the will quietly and wisely understand that it is not by dint of labor on our part that we can converse to any good purpose with God, and that our own efforts are only great logs of wood laid on without discretion to quench this little spark. And let it confess this, and in humility say, O Lord, what can I do here? What has the servant to do with her Lord? and earth with heaven, or words of love that suggest themselves now, firmly grounded in the conviction that what it says is truth. And let it make no account of the understanding, which is simply tiresome. And if the will wishes to communicate to the understanding any portion of that fruition of which itself has entered on, or if it labors to make the understanding recollected, it shall not succeed, for it will often happen that the will is in union and at rest, while the understanding is in extreme disorder. It is better for it to leave it alone and not to run after it. I'm speaking of the will, for the will should abide in the fruition of that grace, recollected itself like the prudent bee. For if no bees entered the hive, and each of them wandered abroad in search of the rest, the honey would hardly be made. In the same way, the soul will lose much if it be not careful now, especially if the understanding be acute. For when it begins to make reflections and search for reasons, it will think at once that it is doing something if its reasons and reflections are good. The only reason that ought to be admitted now is to understand clearly that there is no reason whatever except his mere goodness why God should grant us so great a grace and to be aware that we are so near him and to pray to his majesty for mercies, to make intercession for the church, for those who had been recommended to us, and for the souls in purgatory. Not, however, with a noise of words, but with a heartfelt desire to be heard. 
This is a prayer that contains much, and by it, more is obtained than by many reflections of the understanding. Let the will stir up some of those reasons which proceed from reason itself to quicken its love, such as that fact of its being in a better state, and let it make certain acts of love as what it will do for him to whom it owes so much, and that, as I said just now, without any noise of the understanding, in the search after profound reflections. A little straw, and it will be less than straw, if we bring it ourselves, laid on with humility, will be more effectual here and will help to kindle a fire more than many faggots of most learned reasons, which, in my opinion, will put it out in a moment. This is good for those learned men who have commanded me to write, and who all, by the goodness of God, have come to this state, for it may be that they spend the time in making applications of passages of the scriptures, and though learning could not fail to be of great use to them, both before and after prayer, still, in the very time of prayer itself, there is little necessity for it, in my opinion, unless it be for the purpose of making the will tepid, for the understanding then, because of its nearness to the light, is itself illuminated, so that even I, who am what I am, seem to be a different person. And so it is. For it has happened to me, who scarcely understand a word of what I read in Latin, and especially in the Psalms, when in prayer of quiet, not only to understand the Latin as if it were Spanish, but still more to delight in dwelling on the meaning of that I knew through the Spanish. We must make an exception. If these learned men have to preach or to teach, they will do well to take advantage of their learning, that they may help poor people of little learning, of whom I am one. Charity is a great thing, and so always is ministering unto souls when done simply for God. So then, when the soul is in the prayer of quiet, let it repose in its rest. Let learning be put on one side. The time will come when they may make use of it in the service of our Lord, when they that possess it will appreciate it so highly as to be glad they had not neglected it even for all the treasures of the world, simply because it enables them to serve his majesty, for it is a great help. But in the eyes of infinite wisdom, believe me, a little striving after humility and a single act thereof are worth more than all the science in the world. This is not the time for discussing, but for understanding plainly what we are and presenting ourselves in simplicity before God, who will have the soul make itself as a fool, as indeed it is in his presence, seeing that his majesty so humbles himself as to suffer it to be near him, we being what we are. Moreover, the understanding bestirs itself to make its thanksgivings in phrases well arranged, but the will, in peace, not daring to lift up its eyes with the publican, makes perhaps a better act of thanksgiving than the understanding, with all the tropes of its rhetoric. In a word, 
Mental prayer is not to be abandoned altogether now, nor even vocal prayer, if at any time we wish or can to make use of either of them. For if the state of quiet be profound, it becomes difficult to speak, and it can be done only with great pain. I believe myself that we know whether this proceeds from the Spirit of God or is brought about by endeavors of our own in the commencement of devotion which God gives. And we seek of ourselves, as I said before, to pass onwards to this quiet of the will. Then no effect whatever is produced. It is quickly over, and the aridity is the result. If it comes from Satan, the practiced soul, in my opinion, will detect it, because it leaves trouble behind, and scant humility, and poor dispositions for those effects which are wrought if it comes from God. It leaves neither light in the understanding, nor a steadiness in the truth. Here Satan can do little or no harm, if the soul directs unto God the joy and sweetness it then feels, and if it fixes the thoughts and desires on him, according to the advice already given, the devil can gain nothing whatever. On the contrary, by the permission of God, he will lose much by that very joy which he causes in the soul, because the joy will help the soul, inasmuch as it thinks the joy comes from God, to betake itself often to prayer in its desire for it. And if the soul is humble, indifferent to, and detached from all joy, however spiritual, and if it loves the cross, it will make no account of the sweetness which Satan sends. But it cannot so deal with that which comes from the Spirit of God. Of that it will make much. Now, when Satan sends it, as he is nothing but a lie. And when he sees that the soul humbles itself through that joy and sweetness, and here in all things relating to prayer and sweetness, we must be very careful to endeavor to make ourselves humble. Satan will not often repeat his work when he sees that he loses by it. For this, and for many other reasons, when I was speaking of the first degree of prayer and of the first method of drawing the water, I insisted upon it that the great affair of souls is, when they begin to pray, to begin also to detach themselves from every kind of joy and to enter on it resolved only on helping to carry the cross of Christ like good soldiers, willing to serve their king without present pay because they are sure of it at last, having their eyes directed to the true and everlasting kingdom at the conquest of which we are aiming. It is a very great matter to have this always before our eyes, especially in the beginning. Afterwards, it becomes so clear that it is rather a matter of necessity to forget it in order to live on. Now, laboring to keep in mind that all things here below are of short duration, that they are all nothing, that the rest we have here is to be accounted as none. All this, I say, seems to be exceedingly low, and so indeed it is, because those who have gone on to greater perfection would look upon it as a reproach and be ashamed of themselves if they thought 
that they were giving up the goods of this world because they are perishable or that they would not be glad to give them up for God, even if they were to last forever. The greater the perfection of these persons, the greater their joy, and the greater also would that joy be if the duration of these worldly goods were greater. In these persons thus far advanced, love is already grown, and love is that which does this work. But as to beginners, to them it is of the utmost importance, and they must not regard this consideration as unbecoming, for the blessings to be gained are great, and that is why I recommend it so much to them, for they will have need of it. Even those who have attained to great heights of prayer at certain times when God will try them and when His Majesty seems to have forsaken them. I have said as much already, and I would not have it forgotten. In this our life on earth, the growth of the soul is not like that of the body. We, however, so speak of it, and in truth, it does grow. A youth that has grown up whose body is formed and who is become a man does not ungrow, nor does his body lessen in size. But as to the soul, it is so by our Lord's will, so far as I have seen it in my own experience, but I know nothing of it in any other way. It must be in order to humble us of our greater good and to keep us from being careless during our exile seeing that he who has ascended the higher has the more reason to be afraid and to be less confident in himself. A time may come when they whose will is so wrapped up in the will of God and who, rather than fall into a single imperfection, would undergo torture and suffer a thousand deaths, will find it necessary, if they would be delivered from offending God and from the commission of sin, to make use of the first armor of prayer, to call to mind how everything is coming to an end and that there is a heaven and a hell, and to make use of other reflections of that nature when they find themselves assailed by temptations and persecutions. Let us go back to what I was saying. The great source of our deliverance from the cunning devices and the sweetnesses which Satan sends is to begin with a resolution to walk in the way of the cross from the very first and not to desire any sweetness at all, seeing that our Lord himself has pointed, a, has pointed out to us the way of perfection, saying, Take up thy cross and follow me. He is our example, and whosoever follows his counsel only to please him has nothing to fear. In the improvement which they detect in themselves, they who do so will see that this is no work of Satan, and if they fall, they have a sign of the presence of our Lord and their rising again at once. They have other signs also of which I am going to speak. When it is the work of the Spirit of God, there is no necessity for going about searching for reasons on the strength of which we may elicit acts of humility and of shame, because our Lord himself supplies them in a way 
very different from that by which we could acquire them by our own poor reflections, which are nothing in comparison with that real humility arising out of the light which our Lord here gives us, which begets a confusion of faith that undoes us. The knowledge with which God supplies us in order that we may know that of ourselves we have no good in us is perfectly apprehended, and the more perfectly, the greater the graces. It fills us with a great desire of advancing in prayer and never of giving it up, whatever troubles may arise. The soul offers to suffer everything. A certain security, joined with humility and fear concerning our salvation, casts out servile fear at once from the soul, and in its place plants a loyal fear of more perfect growth. There is a visible beginning of a love of God, utterly divested of all self-interest, together with a longing after seasons of solitude in order to obtain a great fruition of this good. In short, not to worry myself, it is the beginning of all good. The flowers have so thriven that they are at a point of budding, and the soul sees most clearly, and it is impossible to persuade it now that God was not with it, till it turns back upon itself and beholds its own failings and imperfections. Then it, fear, then it fears for everything, and it is well it should do so, though there are souls whom the certain conviction that God is with them benefits more than all the fear they may ever have. If a soul love greatly and is thankfully natural, the remembrance of the mercies of God makes it turn to him more effectually than all the chastisements of hell it can ever picture to itself. At least, it was with me, though I am so wicked. As I shall speak at greater length of the signs of a good spirit, it has cost me much labor to be clear about them. I do not treat of them here. I believe, too, that with the help of God, I shall be able to speak somewhat to the point because, setting aside the experience I have had and by which I learned much, I have had the help of some most learned men and persons of great holiness whom we may reasonably believe in the matter. Souls, therefore, are not to weary themselves so much as I did when, by the goodness of our Lord, they may have come to this state.